Welcome to Scent 315. We're here to encourage and equip Christians to engage in the adventure of sharing Jesus with those that God puts into their life. And we're so glad you're here. Matthew, you know how I like people who do hard things? Yes. Yeah, and I like people who do good work. It's one of the strongest compliments that I hand out sparingly is you do good work. Mm -hmm. Amy Riker, you do good work. Yes, she does. Thank you. Thank you for being here. It's great to be here. I have had brief conversations here and there as you are operating at the speed of light because you're doing a lot of stuff right now. And it was really on my heart uh, the last time that we met to share you with the Scent 315 family. Mm -hmm. Some of them are actually in the 4th District, which is pertinent to our conversation today. But this is going out all over the world to people that we hope will be able to hear themselves and some of the stories that we're going to talk about so that they realize their sin and that they can be used to share the love of Jesus with people the way that God made them. So that's what we're doing. So what are you up to these days? Oh, well, there's just an election that's just three <laughs> days away. That's all. <laughs> and by the time this airs, it the election will not have happened. Yeah. So if somebody gets to know you to the degree that I've gotten to know you, or even better, because we're going to talk about some things that you and I haven't talked about before, I think that they'd be motivated to seriously consider you representing us. By us, I mean conservative people who care a whole lot about our community in the 4th District. We're not a political podcast, but I've had some guys running for Congress and mayor and stuff like that on, because I think Christians should be everywhere. Yes. What do you think about Christians being in government and voicing their opinions and stuff? Why, do you think that they should? We absolutely have to be in the public square and in leadership positions, and God is the one that installs people in leadership positions. Yeah. So, I know in this race, I felt called to run. I felt called by God to run, and I know other people feel that way too. So, if you're listening and that's you, do it. Yeah, absolutely. Brad. We're supposed to be everywhere doing the things that God calls us to do. Let me ask you this. Let's just go back to your, your relationship with the Lord. How did that start? Where'd you come from? Grown up right here in San Diego, and I was raised Jewish. I had a bat mitzvah, and I went to Hebrew school, went to Hebrew camp even, the whole nine yards. And it was shortly after my bat mitzvah when my dad, who had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis years before, was confined to a wheelchair by that time. And that's when I really started questioning about God, is God good? And I struggled with that. And I came to the conclusion as a teenager that God was not good, that He was not a God that uh, could heal my dad, and that he was a God who was a punishing God and was the one that was responsible for my dad having multiple sclerosis. And so I carried around a lot of anger about God, and that kind of anger, it doesn't just stay focused at God. It goes inward, too, and also outward to the sure. ones that you love. And so it was when I was about 30 years old when I started searching and I found the answer. How does that happen? Because we all have people, many of us at least, have people in our life that were where you were at. So how did that breakthrough happen? I was 30 years old and I was eight months pregnant with my first child. My dad was 56 years old 
And that's when he passed away from complications of multiple sclerosis. Five weeks later, after a completely normal, uncomplicated pregnancy, my daughter Ashley, she was a week overdue. In fact, she was born in a coma. And she only lived for three days in the NICU. I held her in my arms as her heartbeat faded and her life was over as quickly as it begun. After she passed away and having those two losses within just five weeks of each other, I can remember the pain just being so intense that I made the decision. Yes, made the decision to become an alcoholic. It wasn't that I wanted to end my life. It's just that I didn't want to go on living. So <laughs> I want to start to hear the good stuff. This seems so hard. I can't imagine it. It just had to be one wow. of the hardest times in your entire life. Goodness sakes. The sadness was bottomless. I was diagnosed with major depression, post-traumatic stress disorder. The doctors, the nurses, they didn't know what to do with me. They sent me to emergency grief counseling. They put me on every single antidepressant known to man in the highest dosages possible. And I, I wish I could say that's when I gave my heart to Jesus, but I went through some incredibly hard years after that and my marriage i was married to my high school sweetheart and they say that 80 percent of all marriages that have the loss of a child just don't make it and mine didn't we didn't make the 20 percent cut there i was it was the early 2000s and i was really just at the point where i'm like i really needed to answer that question that i had as a teenager was God a punishing God? And I finally took a, a step of faith. A friend had invited me to church, and she was so sweet how she did it. She said, you should come to my church. It's non-denominational. <laughs> and I said, how non-denominational can it be? I'm Jewish. But it was, it was the beginning of 2004, and I walked into a church, and I heard the most perfect message that night. It was actually by Rick Wirtz, who just retired, actually, as San Diego Chief of Lifeguards, but he went to seminary, and he just happened to be guest speaking that day. Huh. And he gave this incredible message about an ocean rescue. And at the end of his message, I did the thing, like, if you're here and you want to give your heart to Jesus, just in the privacy of this room, just look up at me. And I just remember, like, looking up at him <laughs> from the back row of that church where I'd been sobbing the entire service. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, okay, I know I believe. I just want to know what I know I believe. And so I was one of those new believers that just threw myself at Jesus and threw myself at the local church too. Yeah. So if there was a midweek service, if there was a weekend service, I was there. I read through the New Testament three times in the first three months. I was baptized four months in, and then I found myself on staff as a single mom within nine months at the church. I just, I look back at that as being the best decision I've ever made in my life, giving my yeah. heart to Jesus. And it came from somebody saying, hey, 
do you want to come to my church? That was it. That was like the power wow. evangelism, <laughs> supernatural wow. impact. Absolutely. That's, I, I love inviting people to church. I do want to talk a little bit about Reopen San Diego. Okay, because how did you get involved with that? How, were you called? Did you re- just hear from the Lord and say, I must do this? And can you explain what it is so everybody knows? So everybody remembers 2020. 2020, if you're listening and you live in California, our beaches were closed. We were being told by our public health officials that if you went to the beach, you were a selfish granny killer and a super spreader. I will never forget when beaches were reopened in California. My son was nine at the time. He had been trapped in front of screens for three months. So we went to La Jolla Shores and you couldn't park in the parking lot. There was a police car, a border patrol car, and a parking meter. Apparently, COVID was just widespread all over that parking lot. So you had to park on the side streets, apparently, where there was no COVID. Of course, that makes perfect sense. So I'll never forget how happy and jubilant my son was uh, running towards the ocean waves with his boogie board over his head. And he was right in front of the lifeguard tower, and I sat down. And I was just enjoying watching my son having his freedom. And that's when a San Diego lifeguard approached me, a very good-looking San Diego lifeguard, (laughs) by the way. And he said, you can't sit here. And I said, what? And he said, "Uh, if you go down the shore where I can't see you, you can sit there. And I said, but then you can't see my son. So I did what any good mother would do. I danced in the sand for 90 minutes to keep moving so I was in compliance with the government. Oh, my gosh. COVID could only get you, as I recall, if you were standing still. That's right. In an open beach. Right, with your mouth open. (sighs) That did not wake me up, though. What did wake me up was two weeks later, I live in La Mesa, and two miles from my home, three buildings were burned down. And that's when our public health officials, not only here, but nationally started changing the tune and said, oh, no, you can't spread COVID if you protest or riot. Yeah, And I will never forget, this was probably about two weeks after the riots, three buildings had been burned down, the National Guard had come to La Mesa, we were under nightly curfew, we were getting alarming text messages from the government saying, extreme caution, extreme danger to life and property, stay in your homes, and we had the beating of helicopters 24-7. This is where I heard from the Lord. I was standing in the middle of my kitchen, and I began to feel powerless over what was happening in this world, in our nation, in our county. But I was able to attach an emotion to it right away. I wasn't just feeling powerless about it. It was also this sense of depression, too, about it. Yeah. And that's when I cried out to the Lord in the middle of my kitchen, and I'm like, okay, God, I know I'm supposed to do something. I just don't know what. Tell me what to do. And here's the thing. Anybody who's listening right now, <laughs> having the courage to, to speak out when you know you're supposed to speak out and you know that you're going to be called names, that you're going to be canceled. There's a lot of people who have stayed silent over the past few years because they were concerned that they would be called names or they would lose their job. I made a decision in that very moment when I cried out to the Lord. I knew that by speaking out, 
that I would be called names, that it would be painful. But I also knew that by staying silent, that would be far more painful. So it was another great decision to start speaking out. That's when Reopen San Diego was born. It was born with five women sitting on a lawn <laughs> at Balboa Park, just like looking around, just going, okay, I know we're supposed to do something. We just don't know what. <laughs> and we had our very first rally. And gosh, we've made history even since then in mm. court and saving thousands of people's jobs right here in San Diego. Wow. Yeah. That's one of the most powerful questions. Lord, I know I'm supposed to do something. Tell me what, and I'll step into it. I'll do the best that I can. Another voice that you've had that's been really important to me is on the sanctity of life. So can you tell me how important that is to you and where that comes from? It's been a very difficult story to share. I was adopted when I was a baby. I was born in 1968. Anybody knows the significance of pre-1972 knows that was before Roe versus Wade. And again, I was raised Jewish, and I'll never forget there was a sermon from the rabbis, and we had a woman rabbi and a male rabbi. And the female rabbi was actually pro-life. And the male rabbi was pro-choice. So I can remember sitting there as a kid in synagogue going, okay, I don't know what to think. But I also had my own personal lived experience. And I knew from reading the, the limited information that was released to yeah. me about my biological mother, she did not want me. Obviously, I was adopted, but she was actually in the military and became pregnant, and she wound up losing her young military career because at the time you got kicked out. One of the things that I knew was that she would have aborted me if she had been given the chance. And so I wrestled with that as a kid, knowing that I wouldn't even exist if Roe versus Wade had been around in 1968. And then as a teenager, really struggling with my dad being disabled, being in a wheelchair. My mom's very loving, but things were pretty chaotic because she had to become the breadwinner and the caregiver for me, my two younger brothers, and my dad. As a teenager, I sought the the attention of a boy, and sadly, I went from the girl that swore that she would never have an abortion to the girl that did at 15. And after that, I struggled. Despite the rabbis being divided on the issue, I knew in my heart that I had done something horrible. And I just, I struggled with that guilt for so many years. When you struggle with that kind of guilt, it takes shapes and forms that are so ugly in one's life. I, I struggled with my weight. I struggled with eating disorders. Even before, like in college, I struggled with alcohol. And I'll never forget this incredible, beautiful moment that I had as a new believer. And I was on the phone with a more mature believer. We were talking about forgiveness and we were talking about sin. And I was talking about that I just thought that Jesus could never forgive me for having an abortion. And my friend said, no, 
just ask God and he will forgive you. And after I got off the phone, I just went straight to the Lord and I asked for forgiveness and it was so powerful. So here we are in 2023 and of course, sanctity of life is an abortion. It was just on our ballots last year in California, it is now part of the California Constitution, the right to have an abortion. And so running for office, people would ask me, what's your stance? What's your stance? Some people that ask me that, they are very angry when they're asking me that. And what I try to say is, can we talk about this? Can we have a conversation about it? And I can remember I was at a street fair and this man just ran up to me and shook his finger in my face. Are you pro-choice? Are you pro-choice? And I just looked at him and I just said, can we have a conversation? And he's like, no, you're against a woman's right to choose. And he stormed off. <laughs> Not quite a conversation. But there was another man that was standing right there. And he's like, I'll listen. There you go. And so I shared the story with him that I just shared with you. Yeah, which tore my heart and broke tears in my eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Have you ever hung around Mike Slater at all? Oh, yes, of course. I've been on his show. He's yeah. great. And he wrote a book. It's called How to Change Someone's Mind. A little tiny book. I've given it out to so many people. And one of the things is, is you have a conversation. You let the other person talk and unload their ideas so that there's some room for your ideas maybe to get in. Mm. Powerful book. He's been on the podcast, and I miss him already. But I think my question, a hard one for me is this. We've got good friends. You may know Jenny Stackler and, okay, and David Matranga, and this is TPUSA Faith. And so my question is always, when you're in a battle, when people are saying nasty things about you and being vicious, how does the love of Jesus, how do you do that when you're just in a war? Tell me, I want to know. Let me tell you, like I said, when I decided to cross that line and start speaking out, there were immediate consequences. My own brother was very angry at me, for example, and I was just speaking out on my own private social media, my own Facebook page. We all have friends that go as far back as high school, and immediately the backlash was, oh my gosh, you're selfish, and I'm unfriending you, that kind of anger. Then you step into the arena, and you run for office, and instead of it just being a social media post, oh no, your opponent is now mass texting pictures of you, <laughs> calling you like the worst name possible. So I challenged Nathan Fletcher last year. He was extremely divisive. He supported the shutdown of churches. He supported people in San Diego calling the county hotline to snitch on churches, to snitch on their neighbors for having Thanksgiving. And I felt called to run against him. And he called me every single name in the book. So I can tell you this, that I had to get to a place where I forgave him. Mm. And not only did I have to do that on a regular basis, because you get called those names and it feels like a body blow. Mm -hmm. Like you feel it physically when you're called names. But then you're like, huh, wait, that didn't kill me. I'm okay. 
But then you still have to deal with those people call me names. And again, like that bitterness and that resentment. And I said, okay, God, I forgive Nathan Fletcher. And anybody who's listening, I'm going to tell you exactly what happened to Nathan Fletcher because this is really interesting and why I'm running right now. So uh, Nathan Fletcher was considered the most powerful man in San Diego County, married to the most powerful woman in San Diego County, and he was the heir apparent to Gavin Newsom. And when I challenged him, <laughs> it was truly a David versus Goliath battle. I had to also pray differently for him. And I'll never forget, I walked three miles every single morning, rain or shine, and my husband walks with me. One morning, I just stopped and I started praying, God, through a specific circumstance, bring Nathan Fletcher to his knees in a place of surrender, and he repents, and he gives his heart to you. Amen. And I remember praying that, going, oh my gosh, what did I just pray? I did not prevail in that election when I challenged Nathan Fletcher. But just five months after that election, there was a late-night Sunday tweet that came from him, and he said that he was struggling with the demons of alcohol, and post-traumatic stress disorder. And then a couple days after that late-night tweet, it was revealed that he was being accused yeah. of not only sexual harassment, but sexual assault, and so he resigned. And that triggered the whole special election. But here's like the whole cool God story, because I have also prayed for his recovery, Right on. And I just recently found out that he is in Bible study what? every week. Huh? What? Right? So I'm like, okay, God. Oh, he's so good. Answered prayer. Yeah. So, so I think he actually gave you the prayer too. Yeah. I don't think he came up with that well, one. Well, for sure. Right? I'm like, what did I just pray? Yeah. Like, yeah. So. That's beautiful. That's really important to me because... We are, we're in various forms of battle here, but the bottom line is it's a spiritual battle and it's spiritual warfare. And so you don't pray that God kills your enemy who disagrees with you, even if they're nasty and vicious to you. Jesus never modeled any of that. Never. But he also modeled speaking out and speaking the truth in love. And I think it's really important, not just when you're in a political battle that is really important. We're talking about things that are very important and upside down and crazy. If you don't live in California, you might not understand it. If you used to live in California and then moved to, quote, America, you do understand it. There's a battle there. But the other battle is to be as much as we possibly can be like Jesus and pray and love however we can our enemies not just in political battles, but the guy at work that's a jerk, the people that are lying about you down the street, family members that are vicious with you. That's when we've got to take on the grace and love of God that we want to receive and give it to others. And it's challenging. Mm -hmm. It's not that easy. I lived a season of my life after I lost my daughter, and it, her death was not an accident. The, the hospital was responsible for her oh death. Gosh. And there were oh medical gosh. board uh, investigations. 
and they were held accountable. And so I have lived through the consequences of unforgiveness and what it does to a person, what it does to your heart. And so all of those experiences have prepared me for now to yeah. be dealing with anybody who's listening can you imagine they spent my opposition has spent over a million dollars to name call me yeah. they send out mailers imagine having the worst things said about you possible and the mailer is being not only sent to your next door neighbor but all throughout your community and even your family members are receiving their mailers so yeah. i just knew that it was a spiritual discipline in order to be able to keep being able to perform at the best possible level and to continue. Because I see running for office as a ministry that part of that had to be forgiving people that have hurt me. Yeah. And you're formed, if you give it to the Lord and you ask Him to help you, you're formed by tragedy. You're formed by hardship. You're formed in the battle. Those are all trainings to be able to walk like Jesus and be like Jesus. What's the most important thing that you want to tell everybody listening? Here's the thing. So you know my story of loss and how I was a single mom, but I want to share with you what God did to restore me. And... In 2009, I, again, I was a, a, a single mom. I, I did have my son, Alex. He's, he's 24. Uh, we did have him before my ex-husband and I uh, divorced. He's such a great kid. He graduated from San Diego State a couple years ago. But I met my now husband. His name is Christian. And yes, I prayed specifically for seven years as a single mom for a Christian man, and God <laughs> took me literally. He's got a good sense of humor. And sent me my husband, Christian. But here was the deal with my husband, Christian. So when I met him on eHarmony, he didn't have any children of his own. And by the time I met him, he and I were just like one day apart, same year. He didn't have any children of his own. So when we met, I'm like, you're taking a chance over here. These eggs aren't getting any younger. <laughs> At 42, my biological clock wasn't just ticking, it was gonging. We wound up getting married, and yeah, they did all the tests on me, and they're like, you know what? No matter how many times you try IVF, you have less than a 5% chance of getting pregnant. And I'm like, 5%? So you say there's a chance. chance. <laughs> <laughs> we did IVF. And we got pregnant on our first round. Of course you did. And I'll never forget when they did the ultrasound to determine the delivery, my due date of my son, they said that it was on the same date that my daughter had passed away. Oh, goodness. And I'm like, isn't that just God to take the darkest day of your life and turn it into a blessing. So good. And restoration. So good. But you know what? My son, and his name's Christian too, he wasn't born on that date. He was born a day later on Valentine's Day. <laughs> so his birthday is on Valentine's Day. So my message of encouragement to everyone is just hope for the best and the best will come. And Sometimes the best comes after the worst. Mm. And God can use your situation 
and He loves you so much. I am in a season of my life where I am just so in awe of what God has done for me, that He is a personal God. I was having this conversation with my husband this morning on our 5.30 a.m. walk. I'm like, isn't God so good that He knows us? that He knows every single hair on our head, that we have a personal relationship with Him. Can you imagine going through life not knowing or believing that God knows you on that level and He cares about every detail of your life? That's what gives me hope. Yeah. That God loves me and cares about me at that level. And it's been the fuel for my campaign. And really, quite honestly, it's helped me weather the storm of being called names, it's okay, I'm good. Yeah. So I am praying to God that uh, he does an incredible miracle on Tuesday, November 7th. I am a conservative, and District 4 is 49% Democrat. It is 19% Republican, and then it's 30% other parties or no party preference. Yeah. And God did a miracle just getting me past the primary. Absolutely. Here's where I'm at with all that. Yes, I am praying to God for a miracle, but I am trusting Him no matter what. I think the people are listening, and myself especially, it is an absolute honor to be able to vote for someone that you appreciate and admire. Yep. Thank you, Amy. Yeah, thanks, Amy. Thank you. Thank you.